0: two counties. United by people. My name is Una. My
1: name is Andrea. God, I'm very optimistic this week. Love that. And this is United Ireland. Every week, Every on, week United, on United, United Ireland, Ireland, we oh. go under the hood of issues in Ireland, beyond the headlines, bringing you smart people who know what they're talking about. And this week is no different. In fact, we're going all Zoolander on your ass and talking derelict. What seems derelict, what seems to be quite a popular fashion uh, in Ireland is the practice of leaving properties vacant, run to disrepair until the point of demolition. Sure, look, we only have to look at our beautiful fruit markets and the Victoria market and the liberties to see this happening right in front of our eyes. But we are solutions based around here. We're talking to two people today who are trying to change the attitude to dereliction, that we see it as a normal thing. No, thank you. Um, Especially during a housing crisis.
0: Very much looking forward to all of the glorious ideas and uh, innovations. Oh, I fucking hate using that word. Good things. Through the line uh, innovations that will bring us a 360 degree result. <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to all of those uh, great ideas and great people who are doing some good bits to raise awareness. Um, Do you know what else needs to be uh refer- Where I can't do it. I can't get the I can't get the, the segue. Um
1: do you know what else needs its awareness raised? Our requirement for Patreons to come on board.
0: Yes, there you go. Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. We love making this podcast. We especially love making it with you. And you are the people who keep it going. We this is, I think, apart from our bonus episodes and our 32 questions and all those who that also make up. A bajillion more episodes. This is our official uh hundred and fiftieth episode of the main topics. This is very convoluted. I mean <laughs> there's perhaps a reason that we don't sell ourselves quite well. Now there are nine categories of episodes, but when you subtract no. Um, but uh we're just delighted to be making this all the time and 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 we can't do it without your help. Um we're literally
2: also,
1: we're also not just delighted to be doing it because we like doing it, but hopefully. It adds value to the conversations that are happening and to your life. Yes. So if it does,
0: if you find yourself listening to this uh, on and off or every week or whatever, and you think that it's going to last forever, well, let me strike the fear into your hearts. (laughs) Because with one slip, will I try a a fear-based argument for patron? No, 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 no. Seriously though, um, all of your support and your three euros. Uh, a month is just keeping this going. That's how we pay the producer. That's how we pay guests because um, we kind of believe in, in, in giving everybody um, a bit to, to keep the show on the road. Um, And it's how we do the whole thing. So if you do listen to this every week and you haven't signed up to our Patreon, make this the week that you do have a little summer uh, spritz on your debit card by going to (laughs) patreon.com forward slash united Ireland it's just 3 euro a week Um, no it's not, it's
1: not even 3 euro a week, 3 euro
0: a month, it's just 3 euro a month and we'd really really value it and we're just I know we say this every week that we're really grateful for people who are already doing it but we really really are so if you are listening to this and you do support us on Patreon you're a legend, thank you so much um, you, we really appreciate it we love everybody's messages as well every week and having the chats with people about the podcast when we're out and about so thanks so much to all of the United Ireland crew, all of you people who listen all the time and are listening right now, patreon.com forward slash Ireland. take a second out of your day, three euro a month um, and keep us going right, it's the state of the nation Another year, another decade, another metro announcement for Dublin. This one uh, is kind of like the other ones. And um, it's going to be going from Swords to Charlemagne. Uh, I love the way that we kind of think that Charlemagne is a, is a real place, really, when it was just kind of a bit of an invention around a Lewis stop. I mean, obviously, I know it is an actual real place. Um, and anyway, this one will be going swords, airport, into town, and, uh, is off down the south side. Huh? It's Charlemagne Town. But it's going to, this Are one is going to go through like O'Connell Street and, Okay, gotcha. you know, um, and, uh. Yeah, that's that's the plan, basically, Um, the kind of massive innovation wait till
1: 2035 <laughs> It's going to make my trips to the airport so convenient. And I'll save that time of what I'll have to queue then to get through the airport when I have to be there four or five hours before my flight time. By then, sure, it's going to be unaffordable to
0: fly anywhere. So, yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, I mean, what can you say? I mean, I remember when I lived and on years. we Delir- very
1: optimistic, aren't we? No, but Can't I just feel- the No <laughs> Metrolink coming. What's the point? Let's all give up.
0: It is something that is, uh, you know, this has been rolling for like decades, basically, or a couple of decades anyway. And um, this kind of Metrolink stuff. I just don't understand. Just build Lu- build, Lewis tracks everywhere. Build tram tracks everywhere. That's what we had. It worked just do that again all over the place. And also not just like everything going into town. I want different it's parts of the city connected. Well, obviously we need to build a high speed rail network around the country. Like that's a no brainer, but I'd like places in the capital to be connected so that you could go from like rap mines to, you know, somewhere near, not all just into town, you know, that like different areas were connected. I don't know. How are we meant
1: to afford such a thing? It's almost like you're saying that the corporation tax was the highest this June it's been. And like that it's the whole of June was the same as the whole corporation tax for 2011. Like it's as if we have money, but like services with that money. What are you talking
0: about? (laughs) Come on. I know we're the second most expensive um, country in the EU Uh, based on our amazing uh, quality of life services, as you mentioned, Andrea, the free childcare that we have, the ample public space, the world-class health service, and the high-speed rail network that connects every county. Um, No, anyway, Metrolink, okay, whatever. I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, yeah, what I was saying was when I lived on Delir Street, like, Oh man, let's go. Like probably it's going back good few years now. Um, I moved there in 2010. So let's was say... that,
1: that er- you could get to work really fast?
0: <laughs> yeah, just slide down the fireman's pole into the Irish Times press. Um, I was working for the Sunday Tribune at the time actually. But uh, I remember like some guy coming up to the apartment, knocking the door of the apartment. He's like, oh, we're doing a survey structure and the Metro Link thing because apparently it was going... So like how much money has been spent on this already? Um. I, I'm a big fan of high speed le- electric trains. Dream. Bring it on. Um, but let's just see what happens, shall we?
1: And also, who the private company that's building it, I know the NTA were saying that they want to keep control of their
0: prices. I don't believe that. You don't? Well, no, obviously, it'll be one of those things where. It'll the budget will spiral out of control because like the world has run out of sand, et cetera, and other, um, construction materials. Um, now I know that you, you are the queen of, um, on board Planola oversight in podcast yeah, that's land. A bit of a push. <laughs> you are the minister for, um, <laughs> It's been a little quiet on the on Board Planola front recently. There hasn't been another massive weekly scandal, um, which is rare. But now it seems that the local authorities and other um, entities are bringing it back into the public consciousness, shall we say. What's going on with that, Andrea?
1: So on Board Planola has been called a joke at a meeting at Dunleary County Council, councillors actually passed a motion stating they'd lost faith in the integrity um, of the planning board following recent controversy. Now, Grant, fine, we know they're in bits. It's it, like, the I just would hate, imagine having a decision in front of a board planola and you're literally like, guys, all your challenges in the high court with your SHDs were defeated practically you're making these decisions nobody trusts them and then you're like you just see whenever it's in the paper it's like the plans are going to be sent on board and you're like oh shit mm. <laughs> that's not great um, but that kind of comes going, goes hand in hand with um, the Irish Planning uh, Association IPI they've come out against our planning systems saying they're in a missile, <laughs> how do you pronounce that word? Uh, inimical, inimical, inimical to the common good. Great uh, comes there from the LPI. What does that actually mean? Not so good, in, they're not good. They t- tend to obstruct or harm. Very unfriendly, hostile. So when even the planning people are like, "Dudes, these planning systems are not good for anyone." of the common. I think the, the keyword there is common really, isn't it? <laughs> they don't want to be good for the common people. They just want to be good for all those okay, rich developers. Okay, okay,
0: Andrea, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Don't <laughs> worry. They'll get their comeuppance. They'll get their Um So yeah, but
1: solutions based around here, that's what we are. Uh, and the housing commission has in fact launched a, re- a consultation on whether there should be a referendum on housing. Um So if you would like to have your say, whether we should have that referendum, correct. uh, You should just pop into Google referendum on housing in Ireland where you can complete the consultation. It's actually really short. It's like it's your name, your email and why you think we should have a referendum. I think it's very clear why we should do that. Please take the time to do that, um, because otherwise... um, we just feel like we're flailing around doing nothing, whereas at least then we have some power.
0: Yeah, and it's like about taking action on all sides, right, in all kind of different ways. Um, we're, you mentioned on board Planola's uh court nightmares there at 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 the top. There's this week there was another um on board Planola planning permission quashed uh in the courts. This was for uh you'll be really surprised by this, Andre. This was for another SHD, strategic <laughs> housing development. Um it was for 290 uh or units or whatever in BlackRock. And um that's that's another one. And the reason that it was the plan um, the on board planola's decision to approve planning was quashed was because of again the whole inadequate EIA screening reports. Um failure to give adequate reasons for belief that proposed development unlikely had a significant effect on cultural heritage. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that those kind of things are coming in and yeah, the building height guidelines and all that kind of stuff. So that's another one, another one, 290. What if
1: that like... Now, what also if- on the other side of that, there was news released today, or not today, this week, that the apartments that were built on the Malahide Road were all bought up by um an investor, an international investor, when we had apparently ruled out that these were not going to happen anymore.
0: Yeah, you see, that's the whole shenanigan loophole that they got around that bulk buying thing by investors. When the whole thing in that housing estate near Maynooth kicked off, Um the government was basically like, oh yeah, we're going to ban this now. So people won't be competing against um, funds for buying gaffes. But what they actually did is they only banned it for houses. And so people can still actually bulk buy apartments. And so that's why Dublin keeps being really impacted by, by that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, like another one in the courts, like, can you imagine the amount, the waste of time, the waste of like public money and legal fees the waste of resources, like what would happen if actually that housing, all of the, I think it's 33 now, SHDs that have been, had their planning overturned to the courts, if that had actually been public housing that had been planned in collaboration that wasn't butting up against um, guidelines or, or flouting kind of design stuff or not doing its environmental reports properly, if that had actually been organised properly, and was built as public housing in collaboration with all the different agencies
1: Imagine if it was just built or put through a democratic planning process where people could object, it could then have houses built, so for all the supply guys out there, it's not that
0: nobody wants supply, everyone wants supply, just not shit supply yeah, and if you are, if you if the, the supply guys, <laughs> if they do want supply, then why on earth are they pushing things that keep getting overturned in the courts? Because all of those houses could be under construction right now, but because of all of on-board Planola's issues, they're not. So massive rethink. And yeah, the council's losing confidence in the integrity of the planning uh, agency, let's say, and and therefore the system. That is massive. That means, you know, if you can't have faith in something like this, if the confidence is gone, people don't trust it, it's over. We need something new. Speaking of things that are coming to an end, um, British government is, uh, how would you describe it? It's kind of like, it's not a collapse. It's kind of like people getting thrown. No, it's not getting thrown out of the session or something. It feels
1: like, I was about to make a session analogy there, no need for that. It's basically like everyone is in Titanic and everyone it wants to be Rose on the door mm-hmm. as opposed to Jack that sinks. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Um, in the past, uh, earlier early this week, So far, at the time of recording, the people who've um, jumped ship, Rishi uh, Sunak, Sajid Javid, Bim Afalami, Alex Chalk, Jonathan Gullis, um, Sakeep Vati, Nicola Richards, Virginia Crosby, Andrew Merson, Theo Clark. So obviously the people that they have, that Boris has left are like Liz Truss. Absolute Sounders, like Jacob Rees-Mogg. That one, Nadine Dorries, Dominic Raab. Pretty Pretty is going to hang on in there till the end. She's going to go full, like, bunker.
1: It's just, if you could take the worst of the worst and put them all together. That's my fear, is like, he's kind of got rid of any sort of check on anything. And now... As bad as it's been so far, it's just gonna be even worse with like your your advisors of Jacob Rees mogg and Pretty Patel.
0: Yeah. Well it's been over for a long time really now. It's just about how uh, Yeah, but we said that about a hundred times. <laughs> it's yeah, but... like
2: oh, the
1: British government's over now. Oh, Boris is never gonna <laughs> survive this. What's gonna happen here? It's all over yeah. now. They're literally just like trying to keep the Conservatives in power. And look,
0: we're sound. We've done this. Now vote for us again. Mm. Boris Johnson is fighting for his political life, like yet again, a million times. Um, I thought it was
1: really interesting in the resignation letters, the way they were like, you fought Corbynism, like as if the worst thing that could ever happen to the UK would be any sort of
0: equity for everyone. Mm. Yeah, no, they're just uh, just haunted trash pile of a children's toy chest in an attic somewhere, you know, just the haunted news part of the Tories remain. Um, I just want to draw attention to this thing. Carla Bryan had a piece in the Irish Times this week about, um, there's been a bunch of um, schools added to the DASH programme Uh so that's 310 schools um, and pa- as part of being a dash school, you get additional supports. And so that was really celebrated by the people who run the schools, the principals and things like that. But one of the things that you get is that you get um, provide uh, children in the schools in Ireland with free school lunches, but this isn't being, um, this isn't being made the case with the new schools. So they're getting certain things that mark them out as a dash school but they're not getting the free meals. And so a lot of it comes September. And it basically seems to be a budgetary thing that people didn't close off because even though it's run by the department of education, the school meals program is actually run by the department of social protection. And I just think it's absolutely scandalous that we, that, that come September children in school who need free lunches, the most hundreds, hundreds, like thousands of them probably, um, won't be getting this food, like that's like a full fucking Tory scenario. And uh, I and the one guy in the Greens um, is calling for uh, Stephen Matthews, the TD, is calling for emergency funding to be provided to like fill the gap for this for school meals. Also, newsflash, Stephen, you're in government, but. I just think that's really, really terrible how we like potentially are leaving these children behind uh, come September. And this is like the basic stuff of how we take care of people. And a lot of the um, principals were saying that they have a lot of new Ukrainian pupils and obviously like families might be living in like a a hotel or whatever, and they can't put lunches together. And that how, so that the school meals program is really important as a result of that. So like, get it together these weirdos like give the kids their uh, school meals I thought that was shocking and I thought it went kind of under the radar so I just wanted to draw attention to that but Anish we're going house hunting it's time and actually the people we're talking to their agency is called Anish oh wow I'm psychic clearly Um, okay let's talk dereliction and how to fix it Now, as you all know, dereliction is rightly a hot topic in Ireland. It's something people rage about, something people see potential in something people get very frustrated about. I find it very frustrating myself and it's become even more so as the housing crisis has worsened um and particularly during the pandemic uh as people's attention was drawn to buildings that aren't in use. later, we're going to talk to the brilliant Jude sherry um one of the people behind derelict Ireland. Um, but with people documenting dereliction around the country and highlighting vacancy and land hoarding across social media, there are various projects emerging, not just in awareness raising and trying to actually get this message out there that there are solutions, an awful lot of solutions when it comes to dereliction, but also different kind of platforms. And One of those is called Doghouse, and we're going to delve into that.
1: We're now joined by James McGoran, who is the creator of Doghouse.ie. James, can you tell us what Doghouse is?
3: Yeah. um, Doghouse is a place to go and make dereliction visible for everybody in Ireland. Um, uh, It's inspired by Frank O'Connor and Jude Sherry, who are two... uh, dereliction activists i guess and they're very vocal on twitter showing everybody all the dereliction and vacancy in ireland um and i thought it would be it'd be good to make a place to uh for everyone to go and have a look and see um how bad this is and and how this problem is everywhere and kind of hidden in plain sight so i guess that's what doghouse is uh right now um yeah,
0: and what's your back? What's your background, and how did you get in, interested in dereliction
3: as an issue? Um, I was actually I was listening to uh, Frank on, on a podcast, and I didn't even think about dereliction before that. Uh, and then I followed them on Twitter, and I saw all these other people um, who were doing the same thing. Like, there's other Twitter accounts like Derelict Drada, Derelict Waterford, Derelict Limerick, all these towns have local people in them who are kind of raising awareness of the issue and there's a kind of community there on twitter that is basically flagging this um so i I started seeing all that um on twitter because i like twitter and then i just thought well um maybe it'd be good to bring all this together in one place that you know because it's hard to you can search by the derelict ireland hashtag and you can see a lot but i just wanted to make something kind of with a map and that's got photos and just makes it a bit more interactive
1: so the derelict ireland uh, hashtag on twitter is kind of an aggregator for everyone's conversation and for highlighting these properties and yours is a website then that brings that all together correct
3: yeah, so you can post, you can upload a, a derelict property on Doghouse, and it'll it'll come up on the map there, and people can see it, uh, and people can search their county and see what's going on in their town. Um, so, I mean, the government does something like this already, where uh, local authorities have to keep a derelict site register, and they have to make that information public. But I found, you know, when I was researching that they're just not very visual. There's no map. There's no live count. It's, you know, it's kind of hidden. Uh, So I wanted to kind of just do with the activists or help the activists um, by making a tool that kind of brings it all together and shows it more visually.
1: There's also um, a feature where you're able to claim the property. What does that do?
3: Yeah, so well, it's not actually implemented yet because I didn't think this would get so much traction. But uh, I'm thinking maybe. Did I imagine
1: the- it. I definitely thought.
3: <laughs> no, it's there. It's there. There's a button there, but it doesn't do much. Um, it's basically my idea was like if if people could register their interest, then owners could go on Doghouse and see oh, look, there's people actually would like this building for a studio or a home or whatever. And then my thinking maybe is that the owner could claim it and advertise it on Doghouse for sale. Um, now that's, you know, that that's something that has to be made yet and maybe it wouldn't even be a useful part of Doghouse. But it was just another kind of add-on to the, the basic uh, function of Doghouse, which is, just as a tool to kind of make dereliction visible.
0: Mm. It's interesting you talk about that, um, you know, the lists and stuff that councils have and like dereliction is such a visual thing. So obviously what you're doing makes perfect sense in terms of like amplifying that. Mm. But it's sometimes when you kind of read about stuff around the census or what revenue were trying to do around, well, what they were trying to do around kind of, vacant land tax and stuff for when the councils talk about oh we've done this audit and actually there's only this amount, it always seems to come across as not as outsized a problem as it seems when you're walking around the streets. That never makes sense to me.
3: Yeah, that's, you know, you know that's kind of, what actually set me off was Jude, Sherry had a, a thread picking apart one of um, revenue, I think it was revenues vacancy survey um, And it's an excellent thread. Um, and she just picks it apart bit by bit and shows why it's kind of a pretty poor, um, survey. So I think that, that probably set me off. Then I was like, Oh, sure. We'll just do it ourselves. Then Mm. Um, why can't the people just do it themselves? Just log, log properties. Everyone knows you don't need to go anywhere, five minutes, anywhere, any direction and you'll find one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that, would, that would, your comment there about, you know, the surveys, that they they seem to disregard it as a problem, saying that it's small numbers wouldn't make a difference. And I i don't know, I have a feeling that it's, there's a lot more out there than is acknowledged.
0: Yeah, it's so well, much like vacancy and stuff as well
1: as the dereliction.
0: Sorry, Andre gone.
3: Yeah.
1: What has been the uptake so far? Have many people been utilizing it or how are you um, finding it?
3: on twitter it got i couldn't believe how many people on twitter i thought i'd just get you know the the niche um dereliction community on twitter and i was hoping they'd use it and they'd think it was useful but it actually got a load of traction from all sides um so like the, the thread got you know like five hundred thousand impressions on twitter which is crazy um got retweets and likes and all that but then you know, people posted over 100, I think we're nearly at 150 properties now, could be over that. And there was 140 users signed up in the space of 24 hours. So that was great. Um, I wasn't expecting this to, you know, get more than 50 people, to be honest. So it was a what nice are you,
1: What are you hoping to achieve with those 50 people? Um, or not, or the more than fifty people. But what are you hoping that this is going to bring to fruition? Is it a case of build it and they will come, or is is there plans to make it bigger? Or where do you hope that it's going to go in terms of what it can achieve?
3: Yeah, um, I just wanted to make something that they would find useful. Um, so um, I suppose if they keep if people keep using it, then it's a useful tool, and that's that's great. Um, but I think the other thing was to raise awareness of the, the problem. I think it's already a success in that front because people are talking about it. I'm on here talking about it. So, um, that's what the, the community at the core are trying to do is just, you know, make this problem a conversation because people seem to just think it's normal, but it's, if you go to a European country, you don't see derelict properties everywhere and vacant properties everywhere. Um, and I think it's just in this country, people think, oh, yeah, that's just um, how things are. But it shouldn't be like that, especially in a housing crisis.
0: Any other ideas for government to solve dereliction? What would be your like dream bucket list?
3: Um, oh, um, I'm not, I, obviously, I don't, I'm not a <laughs> expert, but uh, I've been trying to do some research. And, you know, there's things like, land value tax for residential properties which would disincentivize people hoarding property because you know you can just right now property is being used as a store of wealth I think um, and there's no uh, disincentive uh, against that so I've been reading about land value tax um, and I there know there's loads of other uh, things I mean there is already a Derek site levy that's doesn't seem to be um implemented but that that's a tool that could be used that's already written um that local authorities are supposed to look after so
0: yeah but they kind of weren't resourced to even collect probably, the, the
3: yeah to collect the yeah, fines they're probably, they're probably totally i know they, they they want their towns to be uh as thriving as possible as well so i'm sure they'd like a bit more help with that um and I think after that, um, I think it, yeah, that, that's typically when you read about this, that's something that, that that's a solution that's always tabled. But that's a you know, I don't think doghouse is going to solve dereliction. You know, uh, it has to come from a higher level, um, but it does raise awareness.
0: Well, it, it absolutely will yeah, definitely will help. It's fascinating when you when you look through. The property, I mean, it's kind of like haunted daft or something, you know. <laughs> but it's uh it's really it's you know, I think I can definitely see a lot of people kind of gravitating towards it and and lo- looking through everything. And yeah, and hopefully, um, you know, that 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 those properties kind of start moving then as well because there's such egregious yeah. examples of, of um of, of of dereliction around the country. So you're doing a really great thing it's dog-house.ie dog-house.ie get scrolling I think it will enrage and encourage people to also uh, post properties in in their um, locale as well fair play James
3: thanks very much thanks for having me on it's great to talk Now James
0: uh, from Doghouse mentioned um Jude Sherry here and the broader uh, dereliction projects in Ireland that have been emerging online uh recently, especially during the pandemic, I think when people were kind of wandering around uh, uh, the streets a bit more and looking at looking at the um the streetscapes and and the holes in them, I guess. So we're delighted um that Jude Sherry is here. Jude, can you talk to us about derelict Ireland? How did that project come about?
4: Hi. Hi, Una and uh, yeah, Andreas. <laughs> Thanks for having me on today. Um, yeah, so we started, I suppose, we moved back to Cork. Myself and my partner, Frank O'Connor, moved back to Cork in late 2018. Um, so we both work as sustainable designers or systems designers. So we both look at how we use our resources and to use them in an efficient way. And we both do that on a product level and on an urban level. And so we we generally look at cities. We do a lot of busman holidays around cities as well, where we look walk cities a lot and and look at mapping cities. So I've done a lot of work previously in mapping urban manufacturing on a maker walk in Bristol. And so we were looking when we first moved to Cork, we started looking at that city in that context of the urban environment and the urban systems. And um, I suppose it was during lockdown really, we most of our work was still international before COVID. And then during lockdown, we were like everyone else grounded in Ireland, we were grounded then in Cork city. Um, and it was still a new city to us. So we walked it, we were walking it anyway, and we continued to walk it a lot. And then during June, 2020, Frank posted uh, his, uh, an image of a derelict building. And once we started, we, we were aware there was a lot of vacancy and dereliction from just walking around anyway. Um, But once he started to post that, he posted another picture a day later, a few days later, and then he continued on posting a a derelict building every day for a full year. So we provided a a daily dose of dereliction. So a different building in the city centre, two kilometre radius of the city centre over a whole year. So that thread amassed about 450 properties. And by the end of that year, um, we had a huge amount of traction on Twitter um, but also in the mainstream media and press and radio and, and documentaries, TV and stuff as well. And um, so there was a lot, a lot obviously hit a nerve with a lot of people. It's not a new topic to Ireland. Um, it's been here for a long time, so a lot of people would be familiar with it. But what emerged out of that was other people on Twitter coming back with suggestions of hashtags. And Derelict Ireland as a hashtag um, came out of that. Now, we had also just we had released a report report based on the tread we've done a huge amount of study research into each of those derelict properties that frank shared so we looked at all the public information about those properties so everything from its heritage details its planning history its sales histories for every one property um, and we call that uh, report this is derelict ireland and i suppose then that the derelict ireland hashtag has has caught on loads of people now are sharing all over social media twitter instagram and facebook images of derelict buildings in their own areas. So for instance, up in Drada, Dom's doing, there's a guy called Dom who's doing a huge amount of, I think there are nearly up to 200 buildings in Gerada, De- Waterford, Limerick as well, Leash, Mayo, Sligo. So all over Ireland, there's other people who are starting their own campaigns as well of, of highlighting the dereliction in their their areas.
1: Why do you think dereliction is such a problem in Ireland? And I suppose, an uh, addition to that, is why is it something that keeps getting its existence denied? Like every time there's a census um, and, and the local authority reports, it's like, actually, there's not any dereliction or vacancy. There's only like 20 or something. How is there such a disconnect?
4: Yeah, so I suppose it's been here since the foundation of the state. So it's been a problem. We've all grown up with it. And when you grow up with a problem like that, you, you stop seeing it. So it's only true, I suppose, the fresh eyes of me and Frank coming back and coming back from a city like Amsterdam that has tackled it aggressively since they had major problems after the war, Second World War. And up until the 70s and 80s, they had massive dereliction and vacancy problems. So it exists because it's a market failure. And so it exists wherever there's not legislation or regulations that that manage the marketplace of, of property because property is a wealth asset really at the end of the day for a lot of people um, who, who can afford to have, have it as a wealth asset rather than just as a home. Um, so it, it exists anywhere where you really accept vacancy because vacancy is the gateway to dereliction often, not always, but generally is the gateway to dereliction. And that's because a building that's been left empty for so long, even if it's six months or a year, especially if it's an older building, it will start any of those small maintenance jobs will start to build up. So maybe a small leak in the roof can get much bigger. And then eventually dereliction starts to set in. And once you've got those major problems setting in, then it costs a lot more to to repair and bring it back into use than if you tackled a vacancy at the start of the problem. I think a lot of the challenges on... um, acknowledging that it is a problem is, is around wording and around definitions of how you define vacancy or how you define um, dereliction. And there can be a lot of challenges in agreeing what those definitions are and when things become a problem and not a problem. And if you look at the census information, so generally for a vacant home, if a vacant home has been empty for six months, internationally, that's seen as a problem. That's seen as a, as a market failure to leave it after a six month period. Now in Ireland, because we have a lot of challenges on um, probate or uh, like the horror stories when we moved back and bought a house, the horror stories we heard from people of trying to buy a house and trying to get their solicitors to do their job, and um, to and we had problems with that ourselves as well. That that they all lead to then maybe normal processes that in other countries can take a few months that here can take a few years instead, and so that and because then there isn't any. Um, incentives or there isn't any um, sticks, I suppose, political sticks or like a vacancy tax that will motivate people to bring homes back into use again quickly, they end up being deteriorated. And then we have, on top of that, we also do have cultural issues where, if you look at the census data around vacancy and vacant homes say, and if you look at the work that uh, Ali Harvey has done in the collaborative town center health check, where she's been looking at land use in our town centres and through the census as well, it's our town centres that have really high levels of vacancy and dereliction. And maybe that's a cultural thing for Ireland as well that we still see as the suburbs or having your big house where you were dependent on a car, Um, as being a preferred way of raising a child or raising a family because when you look at our urban areas and our urban design it's not really fit for for family for raising families they're not there's too much cars in them there's too much traffic there's not enough green areas there's not enough play areas they're not safe places to be on the street with children or elderly people so there's there's a whole variety of issues that are I suppose, that contribute to it. But I think a lot of the challenges is, is around how it's defined and what we see as acceptable levels and unacceptable levels. And I think in Ireland as well is that we're all familiar with the field, the concept of, of the film The Field, and that uh, concept of if someone owns a, a property property, is their private their their rights to leave it go derelict or leave it empty over, override other people's rights to a home or other like even just from a personal experience and there's a lot of research coming out of Scotland that showed the mental health impacts and the uh, physical health impacts as well as environmental and other impacts that long-term vacancy and dereliction can have on communities and neighbourhoods, as well as the climate change, the embedded carbon and all those other issues as well. But it does have a knock-on effect. So when me and Frank, um, during COVID, the reason we started posting pictures of it is that when we first got, when we got COVID right at the start, and when we started to come out of COVID, we started to rock around the city. And it was extremely depressing to see homeless people uh, living or trying to live and trying to sleep in front of derelict homes and empty homes. And that's just, it's a disconnect that, and it's a very strong signal that the social contract in Ireland is broken. And it was extremely depressing and upsetting to see. And I'm not the one sleeping on the streets. I have a roof over my head, but it was still extremely depressing. So we avoided the city center for a while. And eventually when we started to go back in, we said, okay, well, let's just start sharing images of it and seeing if if other people have the same And feelings as us around it.
0: What went in your um, in in the project and and how it's evolved? Have there been any particular instances of dereliction that people have shared with you, or indeed um, stories that you've heard that really stick out?
4: Um, I think some of the ones that really stick out are the buildings that have been empty for decades and decades and decades. All through the boom. So you can up until the 80s, we can say Ireland was a poor country. We didn't necessarily have the money to spend on things. But anything that's a a derelict building that's gone through the boom in Ireland and then really a second boom we're going through now and is still derelict. I think that raises serious questions. And that was quite shocking that. Um, I suppose when I looked upon where I grew up, there's derelict buildings that have been derelict my whole life since and I'm in my 40s. So that's all 40 years. But there was ones in Cork City, particularly beautiful old warehouses that have had multiple planning applications approved on them that had plans. You go through the press, there's plans, there's plans, there's plans. plans. And unfortunately, they still lay there uh, derelict or or they've gone through mid-work. And have half the work done on them and so unfortunately sometimes you see some of that heritage value lost but they still end up end up derelict so that's I think those ones that people have said that yeah they've they've been derelict for a long time are are the shocking ones.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: What do you think you would like this project to achieve obviously the end of dereliction but like what do you think it's achieved so far and what are your goals of where to bring it and what the end goal is for it?
4: I think we're still asking ourselves what the end goal is continuously and um, where do we see it I suppose we didn't set out to it didn't set out with a defined project it kind of evolved as it went along and um, so it, it's it's quite a, it's kind of we, we just put stuff out there and it's it's kind of a, it taken it's. A life of its own and, and overtaken our life as well without us necessarily planning to do so but because we've worked in sustainability for so long we're used to that idea that or that used to the mindset that you have to campaign you have to work and you have to constantly push for things without necessarily knowing what the end goal is per se in terms of you have hope that there's change you'll have hope that there things can be different and uh, we'll always have hope but you know, there's always be continuous setbacks within that as well. Um, And tackling, like my preference would be to tackle vacancy Mm. um, and to stop that long-term vacancy. And if, because otherwise, if we just end up tackling dereliction alone, you'll always have more properties coming into dereliction. And so we started that thread two years ago. There are properties now that we didn't include originally because they just looked vacant. We weren't sure necessarily, but they've now entered into dereliction because parts of the building has started to fall down. So it's definitely tackling that vacancy. I think it's the culture change. um, And so that's really hard to pinpoint or to say that it's actually happening or not. But it's that that widespread acceptance to get the political will to actually start changing these things. And the report that we had, This Is Derelict Ireland, uh, tackled 10 common myths that were around dereliction. So it's I think we have a lot of urban myths around dereliction and vacancy. Um, And so it's tackling those and and saying that actually it is solvable. We can change it. Through whole mechanisms of carrots and sticks, there needs to be grant systems, there needs to be support systems, there needs to be the knowledge and skills. Um, There also needs to be... uh, you know, we need to access materials. We need to access, especially the tradespeople, to be able to do do the work to bring buildings back into use. So it's a it's a whole mix of things that need to happen. So seeing something like James bring along the doghouse that we can start mapping it, where owners can start maybe then looking if there's a, a demand for their property, can start selling it, getting it back into use. That that's the preference if we can see. And I suppose a big motivation is trying to get people back into making into urban areas, whether it's Rural town centers, uh, small villages, or city centers to make them livable and attractive for people. Because at the end of the day, the most sustainable building is the existing one. And the most sustainable lifestyle we can live is a more urban lifestyle where we can walk to everything, where we can cycle to everything, where we have everything available and we can use less resources to provide those essential services to everybody. So I suppose it's overall motivations around that sustainable living
0: amazing um you know dude like what we haven't said in this conversation is just well done like you're doing the lord's work you and frank and like it's re- is it goes to show like that it's taken off because people people get it they're invested in it they care about it and one of those simple things that they can replicate in their own uh in their own local area and it kind of just creates this grassroots dereliction activist movement basically which which you guys have been so central to. Um, you know, when you're talking about the political will there, obviously, Taylor's as old as time. Uh, some, there's an obvious problem and there's no political will to solve it um, or prioritise it. Have you heard anything from any particular politician or any particular party that you feel, oh, they actually get it and maybe they would do something?
4: Um, I'd say there's, there's there's a number of parties. Like Fianna Fáil are saying they want to bring in uh, vacancy tax. I think it's generally... The revenue office um, department uh, and um, that are are saying it's not not really an option. So I think there are there are on that level, fina fall are looking to at least they're saying the right things. They're saying about bringing in a thirty k grant for um, homeowners who want to buy an, a long term empty or, or derelict building. It's the reality will be when they actually bring that into place and and how they define that and set it up to make sure that it works, especially for first-time buyers who I think some of the challenges are things like accessing a mortgage for a long-term vacant or derelict problem. So it may not be per se a, 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 a direct intervention, but it's making those things more accessible, whether that should be true credit union. and um, Thomas Gold, who's our local uh, TD for, for Sinn Fein, he's been pushing it a lot. And Keeno Callahan from Social Dems as well has been pushing it a huge amount. Um but I will say like for what we're doing, i suppose our aim is to try and keep the pressure up a little bit. But if it was just me and Frank doing it, no one would have noticed, you know, the media it's it's up to everyone else then to it's other people sharing their derelict buildings on Twitter, that has made it a movement. Otherwise, it would just be two people shouting into the air. Um, and likewise, it's the media and people like yourselves as well who are bringing this message to a much wider audience than we could ever uh, reach. And it's it's really up to other people um, to join in and see it as something that needs to change and to raise it politically as something that needs to change as well because two people alone is not enough. To, to really make that change. Um, so it's it's been amazing to see that that support that, that derelict Ireland has got from such a wide variety of people, from all variety of backgrounds as well, that see it as a problem and, and understand the challenges in not, not just addressing that problem, but trying to address vacancy and dereliction as well.
1: Uh, thank you so much for all of this. Before we let you go, we're very solutions based around here these days. What solutions do you think should be implemented? Two immediate policies you'd implement.
4: So the two ones we'd like to see are compulsory rental orders um, that they have in the Netherlands. That if a property, a habitable home is empty for six months, the council can go and put a tenant in them. Um, So the owner still owns the property, but at least it gets used and rented out. So that's one thing we would like to see. We know that will take longer to implement. Um, And something else that we'd like to see much quicker would be a compulsory sales order, especially for the long-term vacant properties or properties that need some work to bring them back into use um, is to get these back onto the market and get them back into use as quickly as possible. And a CPO can take a long time Mm. um, and unfortunately maybe doesn't reflect the actual market price, but also then the councils because of the, the structure that they're set up with the departments don't give them the freedom to spend their budgets to actually bring these properties back into use quickly. So to get them back onto the market, to get people like us like um, to buy these old properties, to make sure that they have the mortgages to buy them and to give people a chance, especially young first time buyers who have the energy and the will to spend, maybe do some DIY as well as get skills in. But to give people a chance to to get a house that they can buy and do it up themselves to live in over time. So. They're the two main things we'd like to see.
0: Well, I mean, they're brilliant ideas. I have I haven't actually thought that much before about the compulsory rental orders. That's a no brainer and takes the whole, you know, argument about like you can't just be selling people's properties or seizing properties. You know, uh, so that's that's really, really, really helpful. Well done. Keep it up. And obviously, people can follow the hashtag on Derelict Ireland. Um, You know, connect with people who are also doing this, put up photos of your own, uh, obviously look at doghouse as well. Um, And there's loads of other bits kind of emerging. And I really think that this is, you know, people think about dereliction as such a depressing thing, but there's so much potential. Actually, it's about potential in, in those derelict buildings um, and in the vacant buildings. Um, so we need to we need to take that because the solutions are literally staring staring us in the face. Even if the roof is falling in, um, intellectually sometimes in terms of tackling this kind of stuff. So thanks a million and keep up the great work, Jude. Thank you. Thanks a million. Andrea, what's getting in the sea? Getting in the sea this week
1: is the fact that more clubs are closing down. This is actually not a physical club. It is uh, a club night that has changed venues over time. Sunday Social, running for 14 years. um, But now it has been forced to close because since COVID... Um, there's been very stringent enforcement of the one AM Sunday closing. Now you may say, "Well, that's the rules. Why don't you cl- why don't you play by them?" Um, but there has been promises of the legislation being updated, the licensing laws, etc., which have been put on the long finger for years and years and years. And people, I suppose, think that this is just something new, but the legislation on licensing has been in talks to be changed for the last twenty years delay after delay after delay Um, and whilst these changes are apparently in the post in the meantime clubs are falling by the wayside and this is just one example and there are stopgap measures that can be made that would be able to help this um, particularly the SEOs that were reintroduced where clubs have to pay 410 euro to open late at night time for each night they're open and these were waived during COVID but reintroduced by Pascal Donoghue, um, in a in an industry where there is just um fall-off all over the place. Um so yeah, 14 years running, it's over. And it's actually so it like interesting to me that the there's like the Guardi are strictly enforcing this 1 a.m. Sunday closing um when very close to Garza stations you have some clubs that stay open very late and I think all clubs should stay open late don't get me wrong um, but I think if you're like if we look at the city of Dublin particularly as I always do sorry um, people dancing past one o'clock is the least of our worries yeah. and if that's where the stringent enforcement is happening well, that is in bits in itself. And I think people need to get a fucking life and not everyone needs to get up early on a Monday morning. So yeah, it's a sad day. I hope they come back. Um, and uh,
0: uh, again, it, uh, not again, but it's another queer space that's closed. Um, so yeah, I've yeah. Had many, 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 many great nights and Sunday social over the years and various venues Um, from the rooftop of um, Bob Bob's there in Temple Bar to um, Dame Lane, all of the different places that it's been in, Odessa, uh, which is gone as well. Um, And you know what was really significant about the Sunday Social was when it started um, during the recession or it was like a real kind of site of refuge during the recession, because obviously um, not a lot of everybody knows that Sunday night is a big night for um, the service industry, for example, um, and also a big night for, you know, people who like are working in the clubs or whatever, and that's their night to go out and and Sunday night in the George in Dublin, there's bingo and a lot of people go to bingo and then go to Sunday social afterwards. But because of that setting that it had on that rooftop, um it was a real kind of haven kind of, it felt like you were kind of uh, like floating above the city, like outside and above all of the grimness that happened. And it was a really optimistic night. It was a really optimistic space. You know, the music was always really uplifting and it just felt that no matter what was going on, maybe you could actually go out more on Sundays next. You just lost your job or something or the restaurant you were working in had closed, or the shop work, you were working in had closed, and that's those Sunday nights were really an example of how a dance floor and a club space that's very welcoming. That you knew you would go there, you'd bump into people that that you knew that could it could offer that haven type atmosphere and just an escape from what was going on in the streets below. So. I'll always kind of remember it as, as that kind of really positive bubble um, that like the early incarnation of Mother um, in, in the basement of the hotel, it, it really offered uh, a kind of a, an escape and a haven and a meeting place. And, you know, that's so important in in club culture, in queer club culture and just in dance floors in general, that they do offer those um points points of refuge and escape and uh, it's really, it's always really sad to to see a long running club night or club go like that so thanks for the also, memories
1: if i was in government and i wanted the people to sh- now this is very me putting myself in someone else's position okay i just want to preface that but like if you were like if there's all this bad shit happening in the in the country nobody has jobs and you want everyone to remain under control, let's say, and calm, you need places of refuge. But if you keep closing all them down, you're just leading everyone to be very frustrated and to then react in
0: a negative way as opposed yeah, to a positive way. and I, I think that's what's happening all over the place. Like the tension that people and the anger that people are experiencing is, of course, down to uh, the wear and tear of the pandemic and the stress that they have, the housing crisis stress, the rental crisis stress cost of living, stress, and all the kind of stresses that have been imposed by terrible policies, childcare, you know, energy costs, you name it. And um, I think another stress is exactly what you're mentioning, Andrea. It's the fact that people don't really have many places and outlets and spaces to just hang out and relax for like the temperature to come down within uh, their their own lives, for their rhythm to slow in their own lives. Um, And I think that that's the unseen unpleasantness that a lot of politicians don't really understand. If you strip a place of culture, of amenities, of release valves, of places to have fun, Um, of hangout spots of just like a relaxing vibe and an ambience that is not hostile or aggressive or solely consumerist to the point that people are just wandering around or like certainly in Dublin, wandering around Dublin with like nowhere to go apart from shops and expensive restaurants and pubs and stuff. When you take that away from people, people become quite unmoored and stressed out and like happier cities that have a calmer energy provide areas of respite and areas of release and areas of culture and, you know, the the meditation and the gorgeousness, gorgeousness that art and connection gives us. And I think that's another reason why people are really stressed out because you actually just can't go to like a public square or something like that where it's really buzzy and, and just sit down and get a cheap drink and go, God, isn't this gorgeous? Isn't this really nice? And I think that that's... Um, a thing that's bubbling under the surface. So we need to take back our public spaces and create them and take back the clubs and it's all going to happen. But now it's time for It's Bananas.
1: This week, it is bananas. Um, To me, that there is such a a lack of foresight of the future of our government. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Specify. Uh, Let's give me some specifics. Okay. So research was carried out by the ESRI funded by the pensions council saying that estimating that 65% of those people currently aged 35 to 44 are likely to become homeowners by retirement Um, given current trends, whereas currently 90% of those currently age 65 plus have their own gaffes. Now, that, thank you for doing the research, correct, but like obviously research probably not required given that nobody at age can get gaffes in the first place. So obviously they're not going to have them in the future. Um, But it's like... You keep seeing these housing policies that are driven by built rent. We're going to make a rental thing, blah, 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 where there's this lack of foresight that's happening of like, what happens to everyone when they've nowhere to live, when they're older and pensions are down and as a country, we're going to have to pay way more for this moment of saying that we have all this money coming in from all this corporation tax and investment and making us a really rich country. But a really rich country for who? Because nobody seems to be getting the trickle down of it. Uh, We don't have services. We've nowhere to live. We've nothing to fucking do. And now we're not going to have anywhere to live out our old age. What is the point of a society?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's people have been talking about this for years and years and years—the time bomb of pensions uh, in Ireland. You know, simultaneously we are a low wage economy, um, and how how work culture has changed in terms of a lot of people in contract jobs and so on, and, and not 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 uh, not having pensions basically. Um, and it's it's like it's really really massively serious issue, and this is what happens when you hand everything over to the market and private companies. They don't give a shit about where people are going to be living and people's quality of life as pensioners in Ireland. They're just turning profit. And also, a lot of um, a lot of developers who are building build to rent stuff for student living stuff for whatever are also in the nursing home business, which is another racket. <laughs> you know where you basically have to give up your gaff to, to to get a place in a nursing home effectively under whatever it's called the fair deal or some kind of ridiculously ironic um, policy title you know companies like Bartra and stuff are, are massively into nursing homes developers like them so yeah we should do something on this more because like the, the figures are really really stark and it's worth looking up that research as you've highlighted Andrea but now let's grow old together with our fave bits <laughs> my favorite bits this
1: week rock farm and slain new to me probably not to loads of people there's a big festival going on in rock Slay farm this week um but i was there as part of a group for a camping more like glamping expedition it's just really lovely the food they provide comes from their farm uh you can do barbecues gorgeous shares i just thought it was really nice um speaking of food from the farm green earth green earth organics is a vegetable box um been following them on instagram and uh how the food is made and produced and straight from farm to table and just the difference of buying your food directly from farms what an impact that can have um versus buying from a supermarket and especially as we are going into questionable food security times um fishermen can't go out fishing anymore because the price of diesel is and too much that so we're living on uh, frozen fish at the moment we're going to run out probably in the next few weeks um, even if they fill their their this is meant to be five bits of rats even if they fill their <laughs> boats with fish though it wouldn't be worth it because of the prices they get because they are not setting the market they are selling to the market and also the price of fuel is so big that it's impossible to make the money back so as much as you can, support farmers. We don't grow enough food in Ireland ourselves. The good stuff we do grow, we export. We need to become more sufficient at uh, growing food for ourselves and being an island, this should be a, what we do anyway. So, yeah, we should anyway. be a giant organic farm, yeah. Green Earth Organics is a good place to start. Um, Tain Uh, The Women's Stories by Karina Tynan and illustrated by Cathy Tynan is a retelling of the Irish Iliad, if you will, um, full of all the mythical stories from a women's perspective. Absolutely gorgeous. Well worth looking into. Um, Really enjoying that. And also, if you feel arty and you've always dreamed of being a nail artist but thought no I can't do that I'm not going to train all that blah blah blah. we are doing a fun nail art class in Trop Pop on the 31st of July if you would like to sign
0: up for that pop onto our website and do. Stunning. my My fave bits um something I'm very excited about this week I am interviewing Fran Leibovitz at the National Concert Hall on Thursday uh Iconic, amazing. I mean, what can you say about her? Um, I'm re- it's gonna be a great evening. It's sold out, but of course, it's um COVID return, ticket returns world, and we just live in it. So if you want to go see Fran Liebowitz, um, lots of people will have watched Pretend It's a City, the um, documentary series she made with Martin Scorsese and Netflix. Uh keep your ears out for returns and any guess list it,
1: Any guessless. <laughs>
0: any guest list, no bags going. <laughs> No, black scan, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, and uh, if people are, if any of our listeners are going to check out the Fran in the Evening with Fran Leibovitz in the National Concert Hall in Dublin this week, I shall see you there. Another event coming up is so uh, Hawk Mountain was our book of the week last week. Connor Habib, Friend of the Pods, a uh, new novel. He's doing an event with Catelyn Doughty, who, who hosts uh, this podcast called Ask a Mortician. She's a mortician. Uh, it's about the body and mad things like that and Mark O'Connell the great Mark O'Connell who wrote um, Notes from Apocalypse and To Be a Machine about transhumanism they're doing a chat at Fumbly Stables in Dublin 8 on July 28th so if you're into books bodies horror and those three brilliant kind of writers and speakers that'd be a good vibe to go and like hear some interesting stuff the outdoor gigs this summer are just giving me life like, I went to see Haim Trinity, gorgeous. Also, really great sound, which I very much appreciated. And I'm raging. I didn't go to Fontaine's in Ivy Gardens at the weekend. Um, but I'm going to make up for that because I'm going to go to Caribou. Uh, too. Oh, no, where are you going? Yeah. Deadly, will we go for a drink before? I don't drink, but yeah. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Wait for- really looking forward to to that Um, so go on everyone putting on the outdoor gigs speaking of outdoors um, Dublin Digital Radio my faves they broadcast from the complex in Smithfield but this Saturday they're bringing the studio onto the street and they're going to be broadcasting outdoors outside the complex uh, there um, for the afternoon and I just think that's deadly and I love them so if you're around town maybe swing by there and catch some tunes. Um, Galway Film Flat is on uh, this week. So hello to everyone heading down to that. hope you have a ball. Uh, Joyride is opening it. Ema Reynolds' film, Nothing Compares, which I was doing the Q&A f- uh, with Catherine Ferguson, the director of that up in Belfast, And new Sinead O'Connor Dock. That's there. There's loads of great bits. Uh, so I How hope everyone a has... Huh? How to Tell a Secret. Oh yeah, Sean Dunn's film with Anna Rogers. Yeah. Yes. Uh, There's loads of really good stuff there. So I hope everyone at the FLA has a ball. Speaking of film, I watched, I had this really weird moment where I was clicked on movie, and the main film that they were showing was this film, Endless Summer. And what was strange about it was a month previously, myself and Sarah were in a cafe in Berlin and there was this big poster of that film on the wall. And I was like, endless summer. I really want to see that film. And then it just like popped back in again. So obviously it was signed from the universe. So obviously I watched it. If you do subscribe to Movie or you want to rent it online, it's a 1966 surfing documentary by Bruce Brown. It has an amazing um backstory that basically he was shooting all this kind of surfing footage um with his friends in the US mostly and, well, Hawaii really and uh California and shooting on Super 8 or whatever. And then he basically kind of got $50,000 to make this documentary where they surfed around the world. Um, And uh, he shot it and it is just so unbelievably stunning, but nobody would pick the film up at the time. um, And he would basically just show it in different places and, and narrate it live because he has this very unique kind of narration to it that really kind of broke the very formal documentary narration type style um, and then basically he just kept showing it. He kept like buying it cin- or like renting cinemas and showing it and showing it. And then when it was eventually released, um, from that, like 50,000, I think it made like 6 million instantly and became this huge cult classic. So if you like vintage surfing documentaries, which I do, <laughs> um, you'll enjoy Endless Summer. Um, another film I watched. You is- like Point Break. No, it's more like just. <laughs> I was joking. I love Point Break. Great film. Great film. Um. Uh, Catherine Biglow, right? She didn't Catherine she direct? Kenny <laughs> <Canada> Reeves. <laughs> um, so I also watched this very fun, super random um, queer short film called "The Demons of Do- Dorothy." Um, I'm just going to mention it because it's absolutely hilarious. It's just like a total meta take on like trying to make a queer short film. Um, it's very funny and surreal. I want to put the Lucky, to- lucky Tortoise um, in my fave bits because meals in Dublin City are so fucking expensive right now and everybody's doing a tasting menu and you have to spend like 70 quid. So I just want to shout out uh, like Lucky Tortoise where you can like pay, I think it's like 28 euro for like all in family style meal that you can basically share with two people. And I just think that's really good value. And... It's really annoying to to not have accessible um, re- restaurants that are affordable uh, in a European capital. It just seems to be like really expensive or fast food um, or like just kind of like crap stuff in the middle that is also really expensive. Um, and we all know the reasons for that, blah, blah, blah. But I just want to say, well done, Lucky Tortoise, for actually having a bit of a vibe for that's not going to... And you be designed... Oh, I didn't I go to the one man. in Temple I haven't been to the one in Temple Bar yet. I the uh, one on Angel Street. Um, but yes, I heard that's lovely. Uh shout out to Daryl McCormack uh, Irish actor. He was in Fair City. He's now starring opposite Emma Thompson in Good Luck to You Leo Grand, the um Emma Thompson film. I just think that's deadly. another amazing Irish actor doing really, really, really brilliantly. So fair play to him. And my other fave bit is the profile piece on Lisa McGee. In the New Yorker, she the creator of Dairy Girls. Go read that. Now it's time for Book of the Week. Book of the
2: Week. Book of the Week.
0: Quick book of the week this week. I started reading it last night. It's Sheila Hattie's one. Well, new-ish one, I think it was out earlier this year or last last year, probably. Um, it's called On Colour. I love Sheila Hattie. This is probably really more of a book of a week, book of the week about motherhood. Her book before this, she also wrote that book, How Should a Person Be, which was very influential in the kind of contemporary, not autofiction, but kind of contemporary kind of uh, writing. I think Sally Rooney would have been very inspired by it motherhood is fucking brilliant amazing book about having kids not having kids what do you do when other people are having kids blah blah blah. this one started reading it yeah it seems interesting enough um it's a bit i think after reading connor's book a uh, hawk mountain which is so like story story like juicy page turner i'm kind of like oh yes another abstract book that i'm reading okay but i will get into it sheila hetty on color this podcast is produced by Andrew Mangan and Costaway Media. Crystal Clear gave us the Gina Chicken Roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all of our design. Andrea, what's the of Chicken Roll? tune Gina Chicken Roll. Tom Aspel,
1: 01902. Banger. I've been Una Mullally. I've been Andrew Horn.
0: This was United Ireland. And that was Derelict.